Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to start reading verse 16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Just this morning, the chance to gather together, Lord, we pray that you would just open our hearts to your word. Lord, help us to see how it works in our lives and moves us to action. We pray that you would remove every distraction and just wake us with the joy to being together and being in your word. And Holy Spirit, just pray that you just help us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've been going through a short little series on really just on the Bible and on Scripture and the impact that Scripture is to have in our lives. And this morning, I just want us to look at this passage, Romans, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, actually 2 Timothy chapter 3. But that's verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. It's one of the key verses of all the Bible that talks about the power and the work of the Bible. And so this morning, I just want us to be refreshed with the right perspective of God's word. And I want to remind us of its work in our lives so that as we go through the rest of 2016, we will regularly run to God's word and let it run through us. It's the end of January. Most of your big plans for a new year are dead. You're pretty much the same as you were last year. The only thing that's going to awaken you and move you and change you is the word of God. And applying that to our lives and seeing how it works in our lives. And so I want us to read all of chapter 3. And just see that the, the, the controlling portion of this whole scripture is the word of God. That's what controls everything for our lives. And Paul is writing this at a time when he's in prison. It's the last word that he's going to say to Timothy. So I'm going to read the whole chapter of chapter 3. It says this. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be made plain to all, as, what that, as was that of those two men." You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, 
deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so he paints at the beginning a picture of what the world is like and what he doesn't, what he wants Timothy not to be like. And he says at the beginning, in the last days, there's going to be all these lists of things that we see today. The last times are just, there's nothing else that needs to take place that God needs to do through redemptive history. We've been living in the last times for many, many thousands, at least two thousands of years now, since the Holy Spirit has come. And most people live that way. They live in the first part of that verse. They spend their whole lives in a great diversion, constantly trying to suppress the truth. And they do all these other things to suppress the truth. They love money. They are treacherous. They're reckless. They're abusive. They're disobedience to their parents. They're ungrateful. All of those are ways that people are trying to divert themselves from the reality of the truth. But for Christians this morning, our problem is the danger of just the great drift. We are so easily wandering. We, and Paul does not want that to happen for Timothy. So he warns them, listen, there's a whole slew of people who are living in a great diversion, he says. But I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to drift away. I want you to continue in the faith. He wants them to stay close to the Lord. How do you keep close to the Lord? About 200 years ago, a woman, young woman, wrote John Newton, her pastor, and just asked him, how do you, how do you stay close to the Lord? And he wrote her a letter back, and he started his letter out like this, and he says, Dear Madam, you would have, you would have me tell you what are the best means to be used by a young person to prevent the world with all its opening and ensnaring scenes from drawing the heart aside from God? It's an important question. But I apprehend your own heart will tell you that you already possessed of all the information concerning it which you can well expect from me. I can only attempt to answer it from the Bible, which lies open to you likewise. It's the same thing for us. We're, we all wonder, how can we stay, keep close to the Lord? And John Newton says, we have the answer in Scripture. Paul told Timothy, you have the answer in Scripture. And here's Paul's situation when he wrote Second Timothy. He was sitting in prison because he'd suffered persecution. He was in chains. He was getting ready to be killed, and he knew it. His days were very short. He knew he had a very short lifespan left. And so he wanted to write to Timothy one last time and say, here's the thing I want you to know. Here's the most important thing for you. And he says, I am all in chains. I'm not going to get away. I can't escape. But he says in verse Two, chapter 2, but the word of God is not bound, he says. It, it's not bound. And then he says in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
The reason that many people and many Christians drift or are drifting is because we are afraid of persecution or we feel like we're being persecuted and it's false persecution. But Paul said that all Christians, all Christians, all, anybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But this is what persecution is not. You're not being persecuted when you go to work and try to share your faith on company time more than you're doing your job, and it's, then you get upset because people want you to tone it down. You're not being persecuted for that. You're just being a bad employee. You're not being persecuted when people don't like your political views. That's not persecution on Christians. That's not at all what Paul is talking about. We do get persecuted, and it comes in different forms. It could be as mild as people looking at you funny. It could be as simple as someone saying to you, and they uh, tone it down, you Jesus freak, you religious nut. That, that's a form of persecution. And then there's the extreme forms of persecution that Paul's in. He's tangled up. He's in chains. He's no, he is going to die. And he's in extreme persecution. Listen, what should surprise us as Christians is not that we're going to be persecuted. Persecution for a Christian is going to happen. What should surprise us in America, as I was reminded this week, is that we've had 300 years almost of a reprieve from real persecution. Paul said that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But we've had almost 300 years as a country and as Christians where we haven't been persecuted. So if things change in our culture, which they seem like they're starting to change more and more, Don't be shocked by that. Don't be surprised by that. What you should be surprised by is that you've had 300 years almost in America that we haven't been persecuted. So how are we going to survive in that? How are we going to see God's work in us? It's all the work through the word. And he calls Timothy to three things. He says, this is how God's word works in your life and why it is so important. He says, while all these evil people are doing this, These things that he says at the first part, don't be like that. He contrasts them. But he says, verse 14, But as for you, and as for you, Christian, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have believed them. One of the things that the Bible does for us, one of the things that it does in a person's life, one of the works of the Word of God for us is it brings about a confession of faith. Or or it calls us to a confession of faith. Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The work of God in your life, or if you allow the work of God to work in your life, it's going to bring about a confession of faith. You're going to continue in what you have learned, and it's going to give you a firm belief in those things. So when real persecution comes... You are staying solid in that, that you are continuing in the faith. The work of the gospel, the work of the Bible is to convert people who were angry and against God, 
who were rebels against God, had nothing to want to do anything with truth, to wake them up to the, that reality so they completely turn a different way. Paul, when he talked about Timothy, he said in verse chapter 1, he says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Timothy had a confession of faith that was absolutely his own, absolutely sincere, and absolutely firm. And he, the word of God did that for him. And it was through his conversion. It was repentance. As things go in our culture, there will be people who make confessions of faith, but they weren't genuine. And you will see them fade because the cares of the world and the pressures of the world and the persecution that may come will make them walk away. And Timothy says, don't let that happen to you. Is your confession of faith, is it firm? Where you learned it, is it from Scripture? Have you been converted? Has there been a repentance in your life? Repentance has been a, has there been a paradigm shift in your life, or you thought one way about something, about God, and about truth. And then you realize that repentance is a change of mind that turns into a change of lifestyle, turns into a change of direction. Whether it's been a paradigm shift, it's an it's a ultimate reversal to be repented. And Paul says, we learn this through Scripture. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Where there's been genuine repentance... Has there been genuine repentance and conversion in your life based off what God says about you from Scripture? That you agree with God about what He says about you, that you aren't just a good person who does some bad things, but you are a bad person who occasionally has done some good things. But the bent of your heart naturally is against God. It's wanting to do nothing with truth. But the Bible says that Jesus came to rescue us from that. He died on the cross. And if we will repent and turn and believe in him, we will have new life. Has has that been a contrast in your life? Has there been a confession of faith that you hold on to? A change of mind that leads to change of actions. Paul says in Timothy, the word of God brought a confession of faith in his life that was firm, that he learned and it it was solid. And it held him through very difficult times. About 500 years ago, Martin Luther, who read through Scripture in Romans chapter 1, came across where he was teaching through the book of Romans as an unsaved, non-follower of Jesus Christ properly, trying to earn his way to God. He came to Romans chapter 1 and he realized that the just shall live by faith. And he said it was like a hammer to his head. He, he tried to figure out what the Bible was saying. It was hard. And he kept looking at it, kept looking at it, kept looking at it. Finally, the word of God woke him up to the reality that faith is through Jesus Christ alone. It's not by works. And the Reformation started and people were very upset that he was talking about free grace that's found through Jesus Christ. And he was brought to trial before, be, because of it. And on his confession of faith, They wanted him to recant. And he said this. He says, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by evident reason 
I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus, I cannot and will not recant. God, help me. Amen. Is that the way you understand Scripture in your life? Does it have that type of an impact on your life? We are so gripped by the realities of Scripture that you know that it's true. That you are completely convinced that it's true. That that's your confession of faith. And when you take it outside to talk to people who aren't followers of Jesus Christ, or you look at a culture that has nothing to do or nothing wanting nothing to do with it, what you believe, you're still going to be able to say, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what anybody else does, I am convinced that God's word is true. And I'm going to stand on that word no matter what the consequences because of my confession of faith. That's what the work of God does in Christians who are following God's word. It gives us a solid confession for us. A couple of weeks ago, just about two weeks ago, they had the big snowzilla snowstorm out east and just you know, piles and piles of snow. And kids were home for six, seven, eight days um, during the snowstorm out east. And they wrote about it in the, the Washington Post. A lady, a mom, was writing about it. She goes, you know, all the, the struggle, we, we, all these people are trying to clean up the snow and trying to get things cleared out. She goes, but the biggest problem with Snowzilla is our houses. From all the kids bringing their snow coats and their mess and trailing it all through the house, it's just a complete disaster. And she said this line, she said, the sad truth is our homes may never recover from this storm. And that's okay for a snowstorm, that might be true. But what if that's true for your life? What if that's the reality that you're facing? Is your faith and is your confession of faith so strong because you have seen in God's word that even if your life is never the same, you're still going to stand on the word of God? When the persecution is not just mild or for a short term, but in such a way that it, it devastates your entire life and your entire family, and your confession is so solid that it was able to survive that storm even if things never recover. Because that's what happened to the Redding family about two weeks ago. Mike Reddering had a great job as a yacht outfitter in Florida. About six years ago, they sold it. His wife was a graphic designer, very successful. They sold all of it to go to Burkina Faso and start an orphanage and a women's shelter. And on January 15th, about 100 Al-Qaeda came in and attacked a hotel. And Mike was in the cafe across the street drinking a cappuccino with another missionary pastor waiting for a group from America to come in. Al-Qaeda came running through, started shooting people everywhere, and Mike Reddering was killed. 45 years of age. And what's his family going to do? When persecution starts to come, your whole life is completely wrecked. Your family's never going to be the same. You're never going to recover from that storm. What's his wife and his family going to do? He left four young children. This is what his wife wrote a couple days later. She says, heaven has gained a warrior. 
I know God has a purpose in all things, but sometimes it's a complete mystery to me. My best friend, partner in crime, love of my life, the best husband ever, an amazing father to his children and a papa to everyone. My heart is so heavy and I am having trouble believing he is gone. Mike was an example in the way he lived and loved. And then she said this, God be glorified. In the midst of a storm that will never get straightened out, their family will never be the same again, her confession of faith through the word of God was so strong that she could say, even in this thing I don't even understand, but because I believe the word of God, God be glorified in this situation. Is that your confession of faith? And, but he goes on to say a little bit more to Timothy. He says, And know how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. He says, listen, don't drift away. Don't drift away when persecution comes. When things get really difficult, when it seems easy just to fade away, don't do it. And here's why I want you to do it. Remember, remember where you learned it from. Know where it came from. Remember how you, your sincere faith, remember who taught you it? It was your grandmother and your mother. And they taught you at a very young age. You heard the Bible from the time you were little. For a Jewish child, he would have, from the age of five, you have been reading and learning about the Old Testament. And he says, listen, remember who you learned this from. You know the song, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows its handiwork? My entire life, I have never wondered where that came from. I've never spent a day wondering how did this earth begin? Because my parents taught me at a young age the scriptures. It says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiworks. So you can bombard me all you want with some sort of somewhat scientific supposed facts and it's just not true. God made the earth and he created it. Because the Bible says so. And my parents taught me that. And Paul says to Timothy, remember who taught you these things. Don't fade away. It was your mom who loved you. It was your grandmother who loved you and you watched their lives. And they were absolutely sincere in their faith. They didn't just bring you to church on Sunday, but they lived it. And you knew it, Timothy. They lived it all week long. And that's what we should do, parents. We got a lot of young parents in our church with young babies. And let me just encourage you with this. This is good news for you and for all of us as parents. Paul says to Timothy, remember who you learned this from. Think about where you learned the scriptures early and teach it to your children. I would just say, parents, don't young children can genuinely be converted. Timothy was. But don't boast in a prayer and don't blink at a prodigal. But keep bringing your children to God and back to his power. Here's what I mean by that. Don't boast in a prayer. If your five-year-old comes to you 
And he's grown up in church, and he's heard you pray, he's seen the scriptures, he's heard the gospel over and over again. And he comes to you at five years old, and he says, Mommy and Daddy, I want to know Jesus. Then, and you go through the gospel with him, and he can pray a little prayer. Then pray the prayer with him. Let him pray, and call your mom, call your grandparents, put it on Facebook, do that. But don't boast in that prayer so that ten years later, when he's not walking with God... You say to him, yeah, but remember, Johnny, you prayed this prayer. You're a Christian. Remember you prayed with me? Don't boast in the prayer. Pray it with them. But don't boast in the prayer. Watch their life. And let them know that, listen, hey, as you're growing, remember when you were five, you prayed, you trusted Jesus. Now, this is what it means to follow and walk with Jesus. But as they get older, if they start to walk away, don't blink either if they become a prodigal. Don't say, oh my goodness, I poured my life into them for 20 years now and I was just walking away. It was all for nothing. It was a complete waste. They didn't get nothing. That's blinking. Don't blink at the truth of Scripture. The Bible says His Word is powerful. It won't return void. So if your little five-year-old prays, then celebrate it and rejoice and watch his life and look for evidences of faith. And if your 20-year-old walks away, don't blink and think that it was nothing good, that he didn't hear, that it was all a waste of time. It's not true. Just keep bringing your children back to God and pray and hold on to his promises. Because in parents on both sides of it, you're going to have to deal with the doubt and the regrets and the fears. And the word of God is going to have to be so powerful to us that we're going to have to see the word as water. So when Satan comes with his fiery darts to say, look, and you, you, you are a terrible parent. See, you pushed it too hard. Or you made him do too much. Or you didn't say this. You should have been doing this. You need to take the word of God and see it as water and let it quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And when you get really discouraged and you think there's just no hope, he's never going to come back or she's never going to come back, you need to, you see the word of God is a fire. And just keep trusting the promises of God. Just keep trusting the fi- promises of God to fans a flame and to fuel you up to you can believe that what God says is true. God wants to see children saved. It should be normal for Christian parents to see their children being raised in the faith, coming to know Jesus Christ in a sincere way. But don't boast in a prayer. Don't hold that over their lives forever and say, see, you're a Christian. Even there's no evidence whatsoever. Don't just console yourself and say, oh, I'm good because they prayed with me when they were five. And don't also blink when they're 25, and want to have nothing to do with God and assume that they'll never come back to him. Just keep praying. Keep trusting and hold on to his promises. That's what he says. He says, Timothy, Timothy, look at your confession. Where did you learn it from? It's from your grandmother and your mother, and it was the sacred scriptures that taught you these things. The wor- that's the work of God. It's to bring us to a point of confession and conversion. And also the work of God is to build into us a community of faith. He says, which are able, in verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
He's saying, Timothy, don't fade away. Don't drift away. Hold on to your testimony. Be firm in that, no matter what the world says. And you can be firm in that because the word of God builds in us, a, for us, a community of faith. Salvation is not an individualistic thing only. We are very individualistic in our culture. It's all about us and me and by ourselves. And we can take that into our Christian life and say, it's just me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit. That's all I need. And there are millions of Western possible Christians who never gather together in faith anymore. Because they've bought into this idea that it's just me and myself, and that's all I need. That's not Christianity. Paul says we have been bought with a price. In 1 Peter 2.10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's salvation. That's being put into a community of faith. Many of you have probably seen the bridge illustration. You know, it's the evangelism where they got the, the, the guy on one side, little stick figure over here, big golf in between, and then a big triangle of God over here. And they will say to you, hey, where do you see yourself? Are you, you're this person over here, you're a sinner, and your sins have separated you from God, and they put the cross apart there, and they say, you walk the bridge to Jesus. That's a great illustration, except there should be one other aspect of that picture. There should be the sinner over here. There should be the gulf there. There should be the cross. But what should be said to people is as you come to Christ, as you repent of your sins, it's not just you and God. When you come to faith, it's you coming into a community of faith. It is a very corporate thing, Christianity is. It's, we are brought into the people of God. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 12, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. Because if you read Hebrews 11, it says they're waiting for us to finish the course. They're waiting for us to finish well. They need us so they can get their crown of glory and we need them to cheer us on. Don't think for a moment that you can live a Christian life outside of community. Someone said the Christian life must be lived through the local church because that is what Christ has made for us, members of his body. If you see your Christianity as only individualistic, you're missing it. We are put into a community of faith. That's what builds us. The word of God helps us to see that, which is why Hebrews 10 says, and let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's why Timothy said, Paul says, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to its exhortation. We need to do that better as a church. We need to see our salvation as not just individual, as corporate. You've been put into the body of Christ. The way you're not going to drift is not you just doing your devotions by yourself every day. It's by put, being, seeing yourself as part of a community of faith that you're going to allow yourself to be held accountable to. And you're going to encourage each other and lift each other up. That's what the faith does. That's why really life groups in our church are important. That's why we're starting them up again. And that's why they're based off of reading the Bible. This is what the life groups are going to look like this year. We're going to call people to get together. 
You're going to gather with a group of people. You're going to sit down, and we're just going to read Scripture out loud, which is what teaches us. Ask a few questions and pray for each other. It gives us a chance to encourage each other. It's, it's saying we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks through his word. And we believe we should do this corporately and together. And if you try to base that off of how you feel, you'll never show up once. But you base it off of the fact that I need this. This is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. That I've been put into the bride of Christ. I'm part of a community that builds my faith. That's what Timothy said. He was surrounded by Christians. He was surrounded with Timothy. He watched his life. The work of the Bible does that for you. It, it brings about a confession of faith, and it helps you see the importance of being in a community of faith. You're not reading the Bible right if you don't see the importance of the corporate nature of Scripture. It's written to a group of people. It's written collectively, to be done publicly. The world's not going to be changed by people individually sitting around. Christian faith is a visible faith that's to be expressed in worship. But the work of God also makes us capable to meet all the demands that it says. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And this is amazing. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good word. The Bible. It's the word of God that it teaches us. It tells us about who God is and it tells us who we are. The Bible is what reproves us, lets our see ourselves for who we are and corrects us. The Bible is what teaches us how to grow in righteousness. It's a process of faith, that it's a continual thing. It's the Bible that does that to you. It's seeing scripture, reading it, and it's seeing that it's God breathed, it's God spoke this for us, for all these things, so that we can be complete and fully equipped to be active, to be moving forward, which is why when you read the Bible, and some people have a great struggle, sometimes it is hard to read the Bible, but you start to read the Bible, this is what it says it does for you. Then just pray. David Mathis put out four good things to do. Pray. Open, pray that Psalms 19 says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your word. Just pray that before you read. Just pray. God, open my eyes to the wondrous things of your word for me today. And then pray, Luke 18, have mercy on me. As I see myself in scripture, have mercy to reveal sin to me, that I will be willing to change. I'll be softened by it. I won't be hardened by scripture. I'll be softened by it. And God, like it says in James 1, pray that make me a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And then Luke 24, open my eyes that I may see Jesus in Scripture. Because all the Bible points to Jesus. But it makes us complete, it makes us active to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. To be interested in missions. To be willing to give of ourselves selflessly. To be willing to share the gospel. To be willing to speak up. To be willing to take the risks. All comes to the power of of the Bible, and the wonder of Scripture. If you're starting to drift this year, maybe your confession of faith isn't as firm as it needs to be. 
you're starting to drift this, this year, maybe your lack of seeing the community of faith as important needs to change. And maybe you just see that the Bible does give you what you need to make it capable to meet its demands. It gives you everything it needs. It's through Scripture. And as we ask the Holy Spirit to speak it to us, as we read it and as we think about it, He will change us. He will give us a joy and a love for Scripture that we never had, and it will keep us, like it kept Timothy, from fading away. I don't think anybody knew this better in the last hundred years that we know of, in some ways, than Eric Little. I love Eric Little. Eric Little was a Scottish-born missionary kid who was one of the fastest Scotsmen ever. They made the movie Chariots of Fire after Eric Little. His parents taught him the scriptures when he was young. So much so that when he was in his 20s, he said, I'm not going to dishonor God by running on Sunday. And so even when the Olympics came and my meet is on Sunday, I'm not going to run. I'm going to run on a different event, even though newspapers made all kinds of nasty remarks about him, mocked him for his faith, persecuted him, made fun of him for doing that. He honored God and he ran a different race and he won the gold medal. But after that, he never talked too much more about the Olympics. He loved it, he said. It was fun. But after that, he left. He went to China as a missionary. And he got married. He had three young daughters. Things in China got really bad. Japan attacked China during World War II. And they put all these people like him and people that they were afraid of in concentration camps. And Eric Little spent the last few years of his life in a concentration camp. Later on, he had a tumor that killed him when he was 43 years old. But he so loved the Bible, and he so loved God that he, and Jesus that he saw through the Bible, that he gave up all the glory about being an Olympic champion, gave up all his rights, all the wealth, all the fame, all the glory, because he loved Jesus. He loved his word, and he flowed out of him. And this is what people said about Eric Little. Even in this concentration camp, where it was a miserable conditions, and people were getting in cliques, and there was problems, and the Christians were fighting with each other, they said this. One man said, Norman Cliff said, the, the finest Christian gentleman... It has been my pleasure to meet was Eric Little. In all the time in the camp, I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. And another guy who was in there said this about him. Often in an evening, I would see him bent over a chessboard or a model boat or directing some sort of square dance, absorbed, weary, and interested, pouring all of himself into this effort to capture the imagination of these penned-up youths. He was overflowing with good humor and love for life and with enthusiasm and charm. It is a rare indeed that a person had the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as anyone I have ever known. All because Eric Little's life was consumed by Scripture. He learned it when he was a child from his parents. He followed it. He loved it. He let it direct his life. He let it change his life. He had great joy, great wonder about scripture 
And on the night that he died, the last thing he said before he died, he says, it's complete surrender, which is how he gave his life. Completely surrendered to what God had for him. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Will you do that this year? There's going to be all kinds of things that come into 2016 that are going to want to pull you away from your confession. They're going to want to pull you away from other Christians. They're going to pull you away from the belief that God's word can give you what you need. Don't believe those lies. Quench them by the power of the scriptures. Pour your life into scripture and say, I'm going to surrender it. I'm going to surrender it. I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust in God's word that it is complete and sufficient and helpful for me to be active with great joy in 2016.
to this.